Cool. Right, yeah, it's great to be together. Great to celebrate new life. Edward is a new life almost a year ago, and Lewis a new life last Wednesday. Praise God. So excited about that. So excited for you guys um, particularly. God is good. Amen. He's good. Oh, whoa, whoa. <laughs> As it says in the Bible, right? Yeah. Cool. So like I said, we've been going through Church Family as a sermon series. We've been going through Everyday Supernatural. We believe in the supernatural in this church. We believe the Holy Spirit resides in us and gives us grace gifts to use, to encourage each other, to build each other up, to give God glory. And we've preached through five biblical values, and today we're looking to the future. We're lifting our gaze as a loving, authentic family, we want to increase in being loving, increase in being authentic, and increase in being family. And as we grow into maturity as followers of Jesus, um, we want to help each other do that. We, we want to support one another, and we want to come back to God again and again, and come back to his word again and again. And speaking of maturity, um, what's your favorite part of Christmas? Just shout out what you got. Cheese! Top marks to Helen, because that is top of my list. <laughs> yes, Helen. Cheese is also my favorite thing, particularly mature cheese. Extra mature cheese. And I had a little bit of fun with this, because I went online, and you can do a quiz online where you can find out what cheese you actually are. So, I don't even try and guess. No, I'm joking. 13 multiple, question, multiple choice questions later, I discovered that I am a cheddar. Yeah, I know, most people are like, oh, boring, that's so boring. And that's exactly what they said on the website. They said, you're a good, reliable cheese. You melt well, and whilst you're not that exciting, you're a lot of people's favorite. So there you go. So I encourage you. <laughs> I felt encouraged by that, I felt edified. Um, but let me encourage you, um, do that in Life Group this week. Go online, find out what cheese you are. There's never been a better way to find out, so you should definitely... Definitely. Believe me. Anyway, uh, let's carry on. Let's carry on. Enough about cheese. We're not here to talk about cheese, but actually maturity is something I want to talk about. And it's not something you talk about that much, uh, perhaps. But 1 Peter is where we're going to be today. We're going to focus in on 1 Peter 1 to 9. And I'm going to read the whole passage there, 1 to 9. And then we're going to pick out some verses. We're actually going to go through it kind of systematically. Uh, um, and, and enjoy it and see what Peter's encouragements to scattered Christians are. So let's read that together. It should come up on the screen behind me. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. I think that's what Peter prayed earlier on. In abundance, grace and peace. Verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, 
may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible, glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So wonderful uh, nine verses. And Peter is writing to scattered Christians. They're in Asia Minor. They're in the modern-day Turkey. That's geographically where they are. And some of these Christians he's writing to, they have experienced persecution and grief. And his aim is to encourage them, to encourage them to persevere and keep going and remember some eternal truths. And, and we don't have time to do the whole letter, but that's often a really good exercise to do if you hear a preacher on a Sunday on a section. Go and read what was before and after what was, what was preached. Um, but it's wonderful. I've just picked out three things I think that Peter encourages his readers to increase in. And as, as they increase in them, they mature. And the first one is hope. Verse 3 says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So he's writing to these suffering believers, and the first thing he can say is, praise, praise God. Why? Because in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. He reminds his readers that they are recipients of God's mercy. They, they don't face the punishment for sin that they deserve, but they have escaped it through God's mercy. They don't face eternal death anymore because of their faith in Jesus. They have an eternal hope. And it was wonderful to hear that story from Lewis, that testimony, because stories like that that give me hope. God had mercy on him. That person that stopped, we may never meet them. We may never know who they were, but they stopped. And that was God's mercy to him playing out and his grace to him playing out at the same time. You see, the hope that we are born into as a result of God's mercy is not your regular hope. And Peter actually gives it an adjective. He gives it a descriptive word. He says it's a living hope. Our hope here is not temporary like a regular worldly hope. You might hope something's coming. You might hope you're getting something for Christmas. But this hope, well, this hope is alive. Through faith in Jesus' death and burial and resurrection, we, we are born again to a living hope, and it has more than just the one dimension. Firstly, our resurrected Lord Jesus is our living hope. We sang about it earlier on. We're going to sing about it a little bit later as well. It's a wonderful song, but it's not the song I want you to focus on. It's Jesus. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and he's alive today, and he's right now praying for us, interceding for us. He's active, and we experience his presence by the Holy Spirit when we're gathered here as a church family. And it is great. It is really fun. It is really good. And I love that. We had this moment last week where we did things a bit differently. We moved the church around. We put the chairs in a different place. Whoa. And, and we just had the mic, and, and people contributed from around the room uh, because we didn't set up any songs to sing. And it was great to see God moving among us, the Spirit stirring us to speak and praise Jesus in that way. It was really powerful. And like this living hope is powerful, it's also eternal. And it's wonderful that God is still active today, bringing people into a living hope. That's one dimension, Jesus himself, our living hope. The second dimension is this certain hope of what is to come. 
a heavenly reward. And it's, it's really exciting because it's an eternity in Jesus' presence. And this hope of a future reality that lives in us is not dormant or dead. It's, it's active as well. In us has been placed an eager and confident expectation of a life to come. And it beats like a heartbeat inside of us the closer we get. It's destined to grow within us, this hope of heaven. And day after day, month after month, year after year, if life goes on, this hope inside of us for, for the internal inheritance is to strengthen and is to grow. Like, like many living things, it's to grow over time. And there are ways we can cultivate this hope. We can, we can worship together like we did this morning. We can read our, our Bibles, pull out the Psalms, pull out any book in the Bible and dig in to hope, dig into what is to come. We can pray. We can pray together. We can gather, spurring each other on, pointing each other to Jesus in times of difficulty. And, and that's why as a church family, we need to do this. We need to be together. But this living hope inside of us grows over time the closer we get to starting that adventure. And if you need to find an example of this in real life, find the, find the oldest or most mature, depending how polite you want to be, a faithful, spirit-filled, Jesus-loving, Bible-loving Christian you can find and spend time with them. Find someone like that. You see, I know a couple uh, locally who are just like that. They came to faith about 40 years ago, and nearly 40 years later, they are inspiring to be around. I love spending time with them. Their bodies might be aging, and in fact, I know at least one of them is in a lot of pain all the time, but they're always rejoicing. Whenever I walk into the room, uh, into their home, they are bubbling with excitement. Every time we meet, they're oozing with hope. Their energy overflows. It's their love for God, their love for Jesus. Their love for people and their hope of what is to come. And I, I look at them and I think, do you know what? I want to be like them when I'm really old. <laughs> I want to be like them. I want this living hope inside me to grow and strengthen over time. We're born into a living hope. Next, Peter encourages his readers to remember that the living hope we're born into is coupled with something else. It's coupled with this inheritance that we are to receive. It says in verse 4, in, we are born into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. He points into this heavenly kingdom that's already there. His references here actually parallel something that his um, Jewish readers would have been aware of. They would have been aware of the historical meaning of the word inheritance. To them, they wouldn't have known it referred to the land of Canaan, the promised land, the land that was promised many, many centuries ago, where all the tribes would get a share of that kingdom. And well, it's only a parallel because this other kingdom, this inheritance that's saved for us is very, very different to the land of Canaan. The inheritance that we as believers of Jesus will receive is eternal and it will not perish. Everything else in this world, wealth, possessions, titles, prestige, it'll perish over time because we're in a fallen world. It's decaying away. And you could do Joe Wicks for every day of your life and eat vegan food and really healthy stuff, but your body would still decay away. It will perish. You might live a long time. You might have completed his YouTube videos over and over again, but you will perish. And the opposite is true of the inheritance, the life we're going to gain. 
We'll get resurrection bodies. If you eat too much cheese, you're looking forward to that already, <laughs> like me. <laughs> but that's the reality. We get a new resurrection body that doesn't wear out. See, God's inheritance won't perish. It won't spoil either. Currently, we live in a world, and it's, it's pretty spoiled. If you read their news headlines, you can see the evidence of imperfect people everywhere. Spoiling this, spoiling that, whether it's environment or relationships, it's spoiling away. It's spoiled this, this place we're in now. But the inheritance God has for us won't spoil, and it will not fade. Now, you might not believe this, but I did a triathlon a little while ago. Um, everyone's like, did you? <laughs> Look at you. <laughs> no, I did. And it was done in Hever. And uh, I don't know, I didn't have a PB to beat, so I just got a PB. Great. Uh, so I uh, did this triathlon. I got a medal. Uh, <laughs> but it's already started to fade. I found it in my drawer in my box the other day. It's starting to fade. This world is fading away. The, whoever wins the World Cup, that medal they get is going to fade. But what God has for us, what we will step into is an eternal inheritance. Eh? And it is wonderful. It will not fade away. And this is what Peter's wanting to draw our attention to. He says, this inheritance is, is kept for you. It's kept. It's already secured. Through faith in Jesus, we're going to be shielded. It says, those who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. We're protected until judgment day by God's power. Somehow, our faith and his power work in conjunction to get us to judgment day. And it's going to be a great day for those who've submitted their life for Jesus, to Jesus, like Lewis and many of us, lots of us. It's going to be a fantastic day where we see him and we're justified and we know him. But actually, if you're not a follower of Jesus, it's not going to be a good day for you. That's going to be a very bad and fearful day. And we want to invite people to take that step of faith and believe in Jesus. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian and you don't know you're saved, you don't have this living hope, and we want to say to you, don't leave without talking to us. Don't leave without asking more questions and finding out how important it is that you know who Jesus is and what he's done. So living hope Eternal inheritance. Next, Peter reminds us and them that actually there's a great reason to rejoice. He says in verses 6 and 7, In all this you greatly rejoice, bless you, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. See, I like how real Peter is here. He knows. He knows they have much to rejoice in. He knows about the living hope and the inheritance, and he encourages them, come on, rejoice in this. But he also knows that they suffer grief. They all, he also knows that they're in a fallen world and in this context, at least, he, he's been writing to people who might have had their possessions taken away or lost family members. There might have been some real serious grief. And it, in, the, in the original language, it refers to grief as an, the emotion. I mean, sometimes we kind of nuance that in our language. We say, oh, this is grief. Um, grief. This is just grief. But actually, he's talking about the emotion of grief, something that many people here will be able to identify with. And we'll all experience this emotion at some time, a, a sense of great loss. It's, 
It's a powerful emotion, grief. And I just wanted to say that we need to be ready to stand alongside one another in that when it comes, to walk through it together when it comes while calling on the God of all comfort to support us. And um, it actually reminded me of a time I was, I was doing this. I was preaching here at the church, and um, I was preaching about Lazarus. And uh, I'd come up to talk, and we'd been worshiping and giving it our all and everything. And I just started to give an introduction about my granddad who passed away when Sophie and I were engaged. And right in the midst of my preach, the grief hit me again. And some of you are nodding because you remember that moment. And not many people forget when someone cries in front of 100 people when they're meant to be doing something else. Well, that's what happened to me. It was grief. And I didn't see it coming, but we walked through it together. I did manage to get the rest of the preach out, I think, in the end. But we walked through grief together. And that was praising, rejoicing, alongside grieving at the same time time. And Peter explains that God's people will suffer grief, but it won't be without reason. The trials and the grief are permitted, he says, so faith can be refined, tested. And it doesn't say it's comfortable. It it says it's hard. It's painful. So it doesn't mean it's comfortable. It, It is, in fact, painful. And again, looking into the Greek words used here, they're actually words that are often related to the refining of metal. Some of you might know this already. Uh, for example, in Proverbs 27, 21, um, it says this, the crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold and man is tested by his praise. Amazing proverbial wisdom there. And it's the similar words that are used in this case. It says the proven genuineness of our faith. It's displayed after the test, after the flames, after the intense heat and pressure, the other side of the crucible perhaps of grief. Faith is refined and gives glory to God. And it's encouraging to know how purified faith is so valuable to God. He says it's more valuable than gold, the most expensive commodity of the day. And it results in praise, honor, and glory to him who we worship when we finish the race of life. And when reading these verses, it struck me that actually I I find this hard because I like comfort more than suffering. And I like peace more than confrontation. And there is a challenge here for me to repent the next time I face trials of various kinds. How will I engage with that grief but still rejoice, keeping this long-term perspective the next time it comes around? A friend of mine helped me out this week. I phoned them up, said, I'm writing this preach. I just need you to pray for me because I'm finding it difficult. (laughs) And I was. And they sent me a message to help me understand this relationship between joy and suffering grief. They said they described it as two rails on a rail track. They explained that both joy or rejoicing and grief will always be with us and we'll we'll go forward in life. And we can rejoice in what lies ahead thanks to faith in Jesus, but simultaneously the other rail is there all the time because we will experience grief. We will experience perhaps persecution at some point. We might experience times of great loss and then Again, the anniversaries of that great loss, whether it might be loss of a loved one or a relationship or something like that, and they will always run alongside each other. And I just found that helpful to see them in parallel together. You see, the reality we live in is that as a testing one at times, this world can test you. Anyone ever been stressed? Oh, wow, not many people at all. <laughs> it's, re- it's really not that stressful around here, clearly. <laughs> Only me. Uh, uh, but stress tests you, doesn't it? Don't you do funny things when you're stressed? Yeah, we don't need to go into that. But, but that's my point. It's, 
we are tested. Our faith will be tested. And my hope is that every time we are, as a church family, tested, we'll be refined. Our faith will be refined, and we will come through it a step closer to the heaven and a step closer to maturity in Christ. You see, we've got great help. We've got these scriptures. We've also got one another. And in times of grief, we're going to need both. We'll need brothers and sisters to come alongside us and mourn with us and weep with us and then help us and point us towards our eternal living hope and our wonderful God. We're going to move on to the last couple of verses because time is ticking away. So verse 8 and 9 say this. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. It's a wonderful description of our situation. We have not seen Jesus, unless anyone puts their hand up to say they have. We have not seen Jesus. Someone went to scratch themselves, and that was like, oh, wow. <laughs> like, wait for a second. You haven't, we haven't seen him. We don't see him now with our physical eyes. We don't see him now. But the result of believing in him, believing in who he is, results in inexpressible and glorious joy. When, when I was with Lewis last Wednesday night, he said, I can't stop smiling. <laughs> and you were expressing something, but... But also, at the same time, unseen was this glorious joy happening inside his heart that had just been born and made new. And looking at these verses again in detail, the, the verb here, believe, uh, in that verse, it translates as trust or rest one's confidence in. And actually, it's never used before the NT, uh, NT that's in my notes, New Testament is written. And it carries a surprising nuance. There's a small word before it, which actually makes it mean into rather than I think it means into. And almost it's trying to tell us that when we are born again into personal faith with Jesus, it's as if we're going into the Lord Christ. It's as if we're going into Christ and then being able to rest and depend upon him. And it's just a tiny nuance, but it's so significant. We can trust on him. It's like maybe a simple example, sitting down on a chair. (laughs) He takes the weight when you're born again into him, we, when we believe and trust in him. And when we do that, we can rejoice. And when we do rejoice, there is joy and there is glory to God. And again, an interesting couple of words at the end of this sentence. It says, inexpressible and glorious joy. And it's mentioned here, it can be also translated as exalted joy. And those original readers reading it, because they knew those languages, they would have known this. They would have known that this exalted joy he's talking about, actually refers to God's glory, the glory that shines out in his presence, the radiance of his presence. And so you could describe the joy here, the inexpressible glorious joy of believing in Jesus and walking with him daily in life, in his presence, as joy infused with heavenly glory. That is great joy, is it not? The joy we have from knowing Jesus day after day in this life, week after week, year on year, year, is joy that is to be infused with heavenly glory. It's something special. And it's that faith and that joy that leads us on to follow Jesus to help us continue growing in him and giving God glory and going out in his name. 
to share that glory with others. And when I learned that, when I heard that phrase, uh, joy infused with heavenly glory, I actually wanted to worship. I wanted to lift my hands and praise God when I heard that. And I wanted to draw near to him again. And we're going to do that again in a moment to conclude um, our service. We're going to focus our hearts back on him. You see, one day, I want to be a mature Christian, less like a cheddar, more like the people that Peter's calling these guys into being in his text. I want to be one of those who, whose living hope is growing and expanding day by day and year on year. I want to be able to simultaneously suffer grief and yet rejoice, even if persecution comes, even if afflictions come. And I want, I want to walk daily with Jesus in whom I believe, being filled with an inexpressible heavenly infused joy. That's what I really want. I want it for myself, of course. I want it for our church family as well. I'm going to invite Mary and the guys just to come back for a moment, and, uh, and we're going to pray. Um, sorry, we're going to worship and then pray. But I just want you to think, in this song, we're going to sing, we're going to sing, ha, what's it called? Light of the World, that one. We're going to sing that one, because we've already sung Living Hope. We've kind of sung about that. I want you to sing about the light of the world, stepping down in the, into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see. And by way of response, I'm going to invite you just in that song to ask God how you should respond to what we've read from 1 Peter today. It might be associated with what I've said. You might want to grow in hope. You might want to ask for help rejoicing, even in difficult circumstances if you're suffering grief. Or you might want to ask for some of that heavenly infused joy to walk with Jesus daily and for him to encourage you in that. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, but you want to be, perhaps you'd like to ask him, Lord, are you real? Can I believe in you? And then let one of us know so we can pray with you. But guys, we're going to sing that song together. Can I invite you to stand up? I'm just going to pray. Uh, just helps, doesn't it? Change your position. <laughs> Father, I do thank you for your words in 1 Peter. Thank you for what you encourage us to, this eternal living hope. This wondrous time where we will be with you forever in your presence, experiencing your radiant glory. We want some of that radiant glory to break out right here, right now. Come, Holy Spirit, touch our hearts afresh. Stir us, stir us again to praise you with heavenly infused joy. Amen.